Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Rick. Oh, my goodness. We've always, always got a need for prayer in our life. And a little great reminder through that song tonight. I want to invite your attention uh, to the book of Jude. We're going to wrap up Jude tonight. Uh, if you'll turn to Revelation, turn back the other way, you'll be there. All right? Jude, Jude 24 and 25. The last two verses of this book and what our beautiful two verses these are. And tonight the title of our sermon, Oh What a Salvation. Oh what a salvation. Verse 24 of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts for this good time. And Lord, that we've been able to enjoy the fellowship of brothers and sisters, that we've, Lord, sung songs of the faith, and God, that have expressed our heart towards you. And God, I I pray that each one of us in our own way, in our own heart, and through our own life and voice tonight, that we have truly worshiped you for as we do that we show you our worth your worth to us so God uh, I pray that that would always be high on our priority list as we come in this place God for uh, that's what it's about it's you and you're to be the center of our attention tonight so God I pray that as we open up your word that your spirit would do his work of teaching us Lord the spiritual truth that I can't So, God, we pray for Brother Nathan tonight and and the youth as they meet. God, that you'd work in their midst, Lord. There's there's probably some there. There may be some right here tonight that do not know you. They don't know you as Lord and Savior. God, may tonight be that night where they surrender their heart to you and just confess who they are and trust you, trust in you for their salvation, God. So, Lord, we give you this time. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've already had some of you warn me tonight that you're tired. You was already sleepy when you got here. Uh, so it makes for a, a challenge. It makes for a challenge tonight. And I have things in my pocket to throw at you. All right? Uh, tonight, there's going to be four, four simple things as we uh, think about this text of Scripture. We see the power, the power of God. We see the promise of God. In verse 24, and then in verse 25, we see the person of God and then the praise of God. Those four things in these two verses, two things in each verse tonight. But I believe as we look at this text of Scripture, I believe that uh, we see how how beautiful they are and how wonderful uh, two two little verses they they really are. So I hope that just in reading them uh, that you have already been uh, encouraged, but you know that as these fall at the end of this book that they serve uh, as a benediction uh, to this short little letter uh, from, uh, from Jude there. It's a wonderful uh, doxology, and the doxology is a big word for praise, uh, to bring glory to. That, that's, our, that's the thought, but that's what it is, a doxology. It's a benediction, and really it's an insight into one of the great doctrines of the Bible as we think about the security of the believer or as some of our Reformed friends had rather say, that they would say the perseverance of the saints. Either, either one, that the, the security of the believer and the perseverance 
of the saints. Now, now this is always, these verses have always been, and they will always be, a, uh, a harbor of hope uh, for the children of God. Great encouragement uh, for us in our journey of walking with Christ. Uh, this is one of those texts that Spurgeon said he preached about the eternal security of the believer more than he did any other thing. Uh, because it is one of the great doctrines in all the Word of God that we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are forever and eternally secure in our salvation because our salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not in us, not what we do or what we can uh, contrive. All the great confessions of faith down throughout uh, church history have had statements concerning uh, that we are secure as believers. Uh, in the uh, Baptist uh, faith and message, uh, that they, it has a great statement about this, is all, all true believers endure to the end. And to whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere till the end. Believers may fall into sin by neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, they impair their, their graces and comforts and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgment on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God, by faith unto salvation. What are they saying? A believer, every now and then he may stray off course, but he is not kept by what he's done. He's kept and he shall forever be kept by the power of God. Isn't that a great and glorious truth? That we are kept by the power of God. So the eternal security of the believer is a foundational truth uh, to every uh, born-again uh, Christian to the doctrine uh, of eternal security. Now, when Jesus said that he has come to give us eternal life, that he meant it. He meant that he's come to give us eternal life. That's one of the most well-known verses of Scripture in all the Word of God, John 3, 16. As he talks about eternal life, it means a life that has no end. John 10, he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Hebrews 7, 25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 1 John 5, 13, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the, the doctrine of eternal security is not uh, some faint, obscure doctrine, but it, is, but it is a prominent doctrine in Scripture. In verse 24, the first part of it, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So you and I, as believers, that we have eternal security, that we can rest in the fact that the saints are going to persevere because of the power of God. 
the power of God. That is, that is the, the nuts and bolts of it because of the power of God. Now Jude, he would concur that if our salvation was left up to us, if it was left up to me, if it was left up to you, that we would all be in some big trouble. Now, these people that Jude writes to, it seems that they were being overwhelmed, that they were be, being flooded uh, by, you know, just the pressures of following Christ and the pressures of maybe turning their back upon him and going back to the world and the way they were living and how they were worshiping. They had seen plenty of people all around them that were falling off the wagon, so to speak, that were turning their back and they, they just wondered, they were shook uh, to the very core, some of them, about their own salvation and their own relationship with God. And so Jude, that now he writes this to remind them that their salvation is not resting upon what they have done, that their salvation is fully resting upon what God's done. And that's it. Amen. That it rests upon the power of God. And so Jude, that he gives them comfort, that Jude, he gives them encouragement, that Jude, that he gives them instruction about the, the truth of where their salvation is anchored in. So number one, he says, now to, unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to keep you, that God will preserve us. God will preserve us. Now, this word keep, it means to guard and preserve. You know, back in 21, it says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And that's true, that we are to put forth that effort in keeping ourselves in that, in that outpouring of love among God's people. But when he comes to talking about our salvation, it is not about us keeping ourselves saved because we never got ourselves saved. That is about what God has done and that he is able to keep us and that God is my keeper. And he's your keeper. You couldn't keep yourself Saved for the best two seconds of your life. You couldn't do it. None of us could. But, but God, being our keeper, that he keeps us in the palm of his hand. That he keeps us from falling. And it's, it's the idea of a sure-footed horse. It's the idea of a man with stellar character that God is in the business of keeping watch and keeping care for his children that he keeps your eternal destiny in good safe keeping in good hands that you and I are in the hands of God and that he will keep our soul that he will keep our lives from getting so far off track that we are eternally lost that he will keep us where we need to be ultimately and finally in him that God will do that and so I think it's also it's interesting that, that two times here in this verse, he's able to keep you and to present you faultless. Now, you and I, sometimes we look at our life and we'll say, Ronnie, you don't know what I've done. Oh, we, may, we look at our lives and think that we are the exception. But it's interesting that Jude, very distinctly and clearly, he, did, he didn't have to say, didn't say you twice. 
But I think that it's very important that we make it so personal in our life that there's nothing that you can do to unsave yourself. But God, that he is keeping you and that he is holding you in your personal situation, in your personal circumstances, no matter what, you know, what your opinion may be of yourself, that that really doesn't matter because God is the one that is keeping you and that he has you. You know what? Even our earthly father, even our earthly father wouldn't allow us, allow us to fall off the cliff. So why do we think that our heavenly father would allow it? No. He cares for us. So not only is he a God who preserves us, but look in the second part, or really I guess it's still the first half, in the second part of the first half of 24, not just preserve us, but he goes on to say that he's going to present us. Oh, that's something that's yet future. He's preserving us right now, and that he is going to present us something that is yet, and to present us, you, you, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, you know, we can go to a point in time, every, every one of us can go to a point in place in our life where we were not so presentable. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, that he made us presentable through his son to himself. That he made us worth something. It means to be able to stand. It means to present. It means to confirm. It means to establish that Jesus Christ, that he can walk Ronnie Stinson up there before God the Father and say, this is mine, that he's been bought by the blood of Jesus. And we've been made, we've been made as presentable before him, faultless. Maybe your translation may say blameless, but it's a sinless state that we will enjoy. That it's the only, not, not now, not in this life, but one day that we will experience the perfectness and the holiness that is reserved for heaven. That you and I will enjoy that one day. Thank God, because he preserves us and that we can have confidence that one day he will present us, present you faultless before the presence of his glory, the exceeding joy. So we see the promise now in the second half of 24, the promise, the promise of God. There's a few things that's going to happen. God's promised it's going to happen. We're going to see his glory. Before the presence of his glory. You know, we, as a kid, I remember we uh, singing the old hymn, uh, Standing on the Promises of God. Here's one of those things that's a promise that it is going to happen. As a child of God, that we are going to be in the presence of his glory, that we're going to see his glory. You know, there's a few instances in the Bible uh, where people experienced and saw the glory of God in some aspect. I think of Isaiah and that, that vision that he had there. In Isaiah 6, 5, he got a glimpse of God's glory. And when he did, he said, Woe, woe is me, for I am undone. And it humbled him as he experienced and got a glimpse of the glory of God. And then the book of Ezekiel, 128, he got a glimpse of God's glory. It says, I fell upon my face. 
And then in the book of the Revelation there, as John was pinning those words, Revelation 1.17, as John got a glimpse of God's glory, so he fell, he fell on his face as a dead man. You see that uh, when, when we experience that, that glory, uh, that is an overwhelming uh, uh, moment in, in, in their life. Now, as I thought about that, I don't pretend to understand all of it, but I believe that when we are in His presence and we're, we are no longer uh, tainted um, by sin, that when we are perfect and we are faultless, that it's not going to be exactly the same experience as what those guys felt. It's going to be different. I don't know how, but they were sinful men. But one day in heaven, when we experience it, we're going to be faultless. And we're going to be able to take something away from it that these mortal men, that they were never ever able to take away from it. So we're going to be able to see His glory, and we're also going to be able to share in His joy. To share in His joy. Now, I believe that we'll finally, as we saw earlier, have, have the ability to see uh, and experience the glory of God, and we'll finally have the right attitude to experience the joy of the Lord. I can't wait to experience this. We have never experienced the joy of the Lord like we see unfold before us here in the end of Jude. No, Psalm 19, 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice. And I believe that that is a command. I believe that that is an a imperative in our life, that we pe be people of gladness, that we be people of rejoicing. But I am quite sure that neither you nor I, that we are not ready for the rejoicing that is going to take place in heaven one day. We're not. There's no way that we can fathom what is going to take place. We have not yet experienced that sort of joy that is going to be a part of our lives as, that we will know in heaven. Psalm 16, 11 says, In His presence is the fullness of joy. Now there is an aspect, an aspect of that in which we, as we, as we experience the presence of God here in this life that we experience of the fullness of joy. There's an aspect of that, but there is no way that we can experience it like we are going to experience it one day, truly, that we'll experience the fullness of joy Then we are in His very presence in heaven one day. It's going to be a glad day when we get to heaven. And I'll tell you, there's plenty of Baptists. They need to get there quick because they're miserable right now. Don't know anything about what it is to have joy, happiness in their life because of what Christ has done for them. Now, just the, the, the light bulb, and I'm sure that, that all of you have, have seen all this, and it's probably not going to do one thing for you, but the light bulb went off for me today. When I was looking at this text of Scripture here, when we see, I think, one of, one of the, the greatest and yet simplest explanations of what heaven is, there is in all the Word of God. It's set right here before us, okay? As there's three things here. It says that in heaven, we're going to be faultless. We're going to be no more sin. 
No more sin in our life. You see, there's never been one, one moment in your life where you haven't been tainted by, the, by the sin in some way, form, or fashion, and that it has brought, brought hurt and heartache in your life. So we're going to be faultless when we get to heaven one day. There's, there's number one. Number two, that we're going to experience his glory. That's going to be heaven. That when we're going to experience his glory. Now, from time to time, and there may be moments in your life where we say, well, the glory of God just came down on that place. And you may have been to a few of those services or those moments of of prayer or praise or preaching or whatever in your life, but you've never been to a moment like this moment right here when we're going to be in the very presence, the imminent presence of a glorious God, that it is going to be something that I cannot imagine I cannot comprehend I cannot explain but friend when it happens it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me and so we see we're going to be faultless that we're going to experience his glory and then we are going to have exceeding joy there's not been one moment in our life where you have not been affected by sorrow Not that you can recollect. See, as each of us were sitting here tonight, and there's not one perfect life in here, that you've got burdens, that you've got brokenness, you've got hurts, you've got anger, you've got bitterness, you've got all those things that affect the joy of your life. But one day, one day that we're going to experience something that we have never yet been able to experience, and that is perfect in the fullness of of God's joy. And so for me tonight, today as I was sitting in that recliner, that man, it just blessed my socks off as I was thinking, my, is, is there any place that you can think of in Scripture that describes what heaven is like any more than those little three simple descriptions? And friend, that's a place that's worth going to. That's a place that I can't wait to get to. That's a place that God is preparing through Christ Jesus, His Son. He's preparing it for all those who believe in Him that we look forward to the day when we get there and that we don't have to worry about losing it is this going to slip out of our grasp you know you've probably been in some sort of deal where you tried to buy a house and the deal fell through but friend this is a place this is a home that you have that it's not going to fall through nobody's going to outbid you nobody's going to pull the rug out from under your feet that it is guaranteed by the power of God man that's good and we have it we have it because of his goodness and his grace because of his promises. 25, we see the person, the person of God. You see that he's sovereign, you see that he's Savior. To the only wise God, our Savior. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now And ever, amen. The person of God. And that's, we're just talking about his character. The essence of God. That's why that we know 
that we are eternally secure just because of the very nature and the essence of God, that He is a sovereign God, that He says that you are only wise God, only differentiating Him from all of the other little G rival gods that there are, that He is the only, that He is the exclusive capital G God that there is the rest of them that they are little nothings that we serve in our life he's the only true God that there's none that exceeds him there's none that escapes him that he alone he alone is God it was in the heart and the mind of this only wise God I, I can't fathom the wisdom of God, and neither could you. If we could, he wouldn't be much of a God if I could understand him. But I can't. His ways and his wisdom are beyond me. And the, as you think about and contemplate his plan of salvation, that only a wise God could come up with the plan of salvation that would redeem and spare and ransom your soul and mine. But thank God that He is only the only one, that He is the wise God, that He made a plan for you and I that we could be born again, that He gave Himself, He gave of Himself, and He gave His Son on the cross for me. On the cross for you. And that sovereign God that you and I, that we can trust Him with all that we are. And He truly is our Savior. Not only did God originate the plan, but God executed the plan. And that God put it into action and that God carried it out. Now, He did it well. Now, some translations say, our Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that gives a good understanding of it, that we know why God's our Savior, through Christ Jesus, what He did on the cross. That's how God came to our rescue, was through a cross. That was our means of rescue, was the cross. Now, again, we have confidence in our salvation because He's a Savior that's what, one of the great uh, titles of who Jesus is. A Savior doesn't lose the object that he, is sa- that he has saved or He would not be a Savior by definition. Right? He wouldn't, he wouldn't be a Savior. He would be a failure. If He's lost one thing that He saved, He's no longer a Savior. He's a failure. Friend, our God. Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not a failure. He's a Savior. He hasn't lost one. He's not going to start with you. And I believe that it's something that that we should shout about. It's something that we should take great uh, consolation in moment by moment that we shouldn't live in doubt and dread and fear but it should prop us up that it should encourage us in our walk day by day knowing that truly he is a savior that he has rescued us and that we needed rescuing and he did when nobody else could or would that he rescued us that he became our savior and that he's not a failure but he truly is our savior In the last part of 25, it's just spend some time in praise of this magnificent God 
whom, whom our security lies in. And I, we could, you know, there's a million things, I guess, that could be said for these few, few words here, but we know, as according to Psalm, Psalm 92.1, that it's good. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto His name most high. And hear that for a few, just a few seconds, that He brings honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, to our Savior be glory. That's an interesting thought. If you allow me, I want to read something. Uh, this uh, Danny Aiken, that he had had this outline that I that I preached tonight. It was the best outline I've ever seen on this text of scripture, actually. And but he, Danny Aiken quoted James Merritt. Some of you probably watched James Merritt on TV on Sunday morning. Dad saw him last uh, last week, and he'll tell me about him. But James Merritt, he said this: Glory. It's kind of long, but it's good. Glory is not what God has. It's what God is. Glory is an attribute that is inherent to and intrinsic to God. Glory is as essential to God as light is to the sun, as blue is to the sky, and wet is to water. You do not make the sun light. It is light. You do not make the sky blue, it is blue. You do not make water wet, it is wet. Likewise, you do not make God glorious, God is glorious. You do not really give God glory. You acknowledge the glory that God already has. And that's it. You know, I can't, I can't ascribe to God any more glory than he's already got. I can't do it. We can't do it. So that's, a, that's, a, that's some kind of heavy thoughts to think. But nonetheless, we ought to give him our all. That we are to, from, from the depth of our heart, bring glory to God with our life. Somebody said God's glory is, uh, glory is God's outward manifestation of his inward character. <laughs> that's pretty good too. But so, glory to God. Bring glory to him. Then... He says, and majesty. Majesty. That's a royal word, isn't it? The kingliness of God. Majestic, great, spectacular. In awe of God. We've talked about before that I don't think that many people are, are in awe of God anymore. We've dumbed God down. We as preachers that we've belittled God and how we've, we've uh, used the Word of God and how we've used our platform, I believe in a whole lot of ways. How we've lived our life. But He's majestic. We better never get too comfortable with a holy God. Amen. And it says, dominion. His kingdom. God rules over everything. Nothing's outside. No limitations except that which he's placed on himself. You can think on that too. Right. <laughs> no limitations except that which he's placed on himself. That's big. And then lastly, empower. You know, when we think of God, we think of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to think of omnipotence. All power. 
powerful God. Now you tell me, is the church in America today, is this our view of who God is? No. Should it be our view of who God is? Yes. Should it be my view? Yes. Should it be your view? Yes. May God help, it to help us to have that. But notice what Jude said. Both now, today. It's all, we're all good and sweet by and by. He says both now and evermore. Let's start today having this view of the God who holds your salvation in mind. Eternally secure. Let's pray together.